want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of implied, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? Good. It's it's a very busy week for television and there's a lot to discuss. I'm really excited. Fans of genre TV have a lot to be thankful for right now. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff going and uh, we'll be talking about some new stuff this week in genre. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, there's all of this, of course, upfront news. We have uh, cancellations and renewals and... And all, all of that, as well as the the pilots, the new pilots are putting together trailers, and those have been started to be released this week. What what are your most notable renewals, cancellations, and uh, new series so far? Oh, okay. So let's start with renewals. Obviously, Hannibal. Woo! <laughs> I am wearing a Hannibal shirt in, in respect of that. The other ones that I'm glad about, I'm glad that Parenthood got a final season. Um, a final that, 13 episode season. Yes, yeah, which is a format that definitely works for it. Um, those are probably the two biggest ones. I'd probably give a shout out to Heart of Dixie as well, which is a CW, CW show that was on the bubble. And it's one of their better ones and one of their underwashed ones. So I'm glad that that's going to come back. Um, cancellations, obviously the big one was Community. That didn't hit me as hard because I feel like it's run its course a bit and I'm, I'm happy to have had a very good fifth season I thought and just have that be that um, the ones that did bother me a little bit more because it's kind of cutting off potential before it's reached uh, Trophy Wife and Suburgatory definitely and obviously Enlisted which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on this podcast um, trailers I think that I enjoyed the most I'm really excited about Gotham obviously for all the talent involved I thought that NBC's Constantine makes a nice um, parallel to that, there's a lot of upcoming comic booky genre stuff that should be a bunch of fun. Uh, Monday nights on on Fox are going to be eight o'clock is Gotham, nine o'clock Sleepy Hollow, so that's going to be a great night to watch TV. I think uh, Wayward Pines actually was the one I was most surprised about, and being really intrigued by. And then again, it's because there's a few actors in there that I really like, but also because I don't know, like I think cutting trailers for TV is much weirder than it is for films and every time that I get a feeling about a film trailer it's usually right when I watch the film whereas it's almost the opposite when I watch TV trailers like last year during this time the the trailer for Dracula was really exciting I was like oh yeah you know NBC just put out Hannibal now they're gonna put out Dracula and this looks great and man that show was crap so <laughs> I hesitate to say some things but uh, for the moment Wayward Pines is something that interests me well, uh, credit where it's due, Dra Dracula did look gorgeous. Yeah. So, you know, the, they may, there may have been some scripting issues there and performance, but, uh, but it you know, set design, cinematography, costuming, just beautiful. So maybe that's what we should keep an eye out for on this stuff, the more uh, uh, superficial elements. But yeah, there's a few trailers I'm very excited about, um, or, or I should say there's a few new shows. I 
have actively avoided trailers. The only trailer I've watched, there's two I've watched, and that's um, Gotham and Marry Me, which I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but I cannot hear the title Marry Me without thinking of maybe on the rest of development. Every single time, it kind of breaks my head a little bit because uh, it's just the the trailers all marry me and i'm like no it's marry me that's that's how you say that title so we'll see what happens uh when the shift i know there will be a shift where i just start buying into the marketing i just hope it takes a little bit longer than expected i'm very excited about gotham just from the cast because i'm yeah i mean it's donald logue ben mckenzie i mean the the people in this show are great and usually don't get good enough material whether or not this will be their opportunity to get good material. Uh, we'll see, but um, I think it's a good place to start from. And there's a few other series that I'm that I'm optimistic about as well. Uh, but one of the things that I've really, one of the lessons I guess I've really learned just in the past few years of doing the Televerse is uh, a great cast does at a certain point doesn't matter because <laughs> the 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 number of series I've been excited about because of their casts over the past few years and then have just been terrible is m most of them unfortunately <laughs> uh, so when i see that matthew perry and thomas lennon are gonna be oscar and felix in a new odd couple i think that particularly thomas lennon as felix is perfect and then i hear that they've recast uh sarah baker who was so wonderful on louis this week they've recast her role a role written for her in that uh, by matthew perry uh for that show and then it's just, yeah, I just get dis disenchanted and I remember that this is television, it's a business, and just because you really like a cast or a certain bit of casting doesn't mean that the show is going to be interesting. So I'm I'm going to kind of just wait on this one until we start seeing pilots at the very least. And then as we both know, a good pilot or a bad pilot doesn't actually necessarily mean anything about what's going to come next. So I would say maybe people should temper some of the expect expectations a little bit and... Uh, Try to be at least, you know, wait, wait to to get overly psyched until we go, get to Comic Con and they're screening the the Gotham pilot or whatever. You know, there's going to be some of those shows that are going to be huge at Comic Con. At least, you know, let's start the hype train in July, not in May. That's fair. There was a lot of talk talk about the the pickups, the renewals, the um the cancellations, all of that on Twitter this week. We spoke with a bunch of you uh, about some other topics as well. Of course, our question of the week last week was, what is the the longest or the most you have marathoned uh and uh we heard from carl who said kate and sean i was sick as a dog last year and watched all of season one of the killing i think the viewing actually benefited from me being 90 percent out of it and i might have beat that session in time if you include watching teen titans go with my six-year-old but that binge stands out uh I, teen titans i know many people are a fan i i, I missed that i was just like i stopped watching that that animation block right before teen titans started uh, so that's one that I uh, have a gap on. Have you seen any Teen Titans? Uh, very little. My brother is the the big comic book guy, so he introduces me to a lot of this stuff. And right now we're getting through Justice League Unlimited, so I'm sure we'll get to Teen Titans eventually. I'd recommend, though, for anybody who's seen The Killing, um, and I thought the first season of that was fine, but uh, Forby Delson, the, the Danish series that it's based on, have to highly recommend that every time because that first season is among the best first seasons of any TV show. So if you have another chance to binge... Uh, that's 20 episodes, which is a little bit more of a commitment, but definitely worth it. Interesting. Carlos also wanted to know, why are we always attracted to shows in danger of cancellation? And uh, my my immediate thought is just that I'm attracted to shows that are different than the 
many, many shows that are not, especially on network television. There's so many cookie cutter shows. It's again, like I said, it's a business. And so all these different networks are trying to find the correct formula for success. So we get a lot of we get a lot of cookie cutter shows. We get a lot of ripoffs and knockoffs of other shows. For example, this fall you'll be seeing uh, I think it's NBC trying to do their version of Scandal and it with Katherine Heigl and it already is not looking good. Uh, though you know maybe we'll be surprised. Uh, but but for for me because we watch so much on on the Televerse, the shows that are different tend to stand out. But because they're different it's more of a risk. And so it's less likely to find viewers and then they end up getting canceled. What do you think it is about those bubble shows, shows like Enlisted, shows like Hannibal, that that draws us in? Uh, Truthfully, I think that every show on the networks has a chance of being canceled, you know, barring some few exceptions like NCIS and those types of procedurals. Um, So I don't know if it's a matter of that when looking at the network. Certainly some cable shows that are different and that we do like that that becomes more of an issue but just this past season cbs canceled two shows that were doing 10 million or more so that that doesn't necessarily mean that anything's safe um but yeah like you said anything that's a little bit different that breaks the mold i think is something that people who watch a lot of tv will appreciate and thankfully a lot of things that do do that like louie have found a really great home um so that's nice so the cable stuff tends to stick around a little bit longer and a lot of the fresh broadcast network stuff seems to have trouble finding viewership especially when there's so many other things involved like scheduling like lead-ins um like hiatuses those types of things so that's just the the way the business goes yeah it's it's a complicated series of circumstances that needs to come together for a show to become particularly successful that that's very true uh however i'm guess are you with me on this i'm really tired of people not trying out a show or not watching a show that you know if, if you listen to the televerse and you listen to other tv podcasts that means that you are interested in good television I'm really tired of people not being willing to watch a show because it might get canceled. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It drives <laughs> me nuts. That's No, I completely agree with that. And similarly, I'm also tired of people who are <laughs> kind of just at the ready all the time to break up or give up on a show. So that's it's strange how some people view television and, and their habits like that. But, you know... Better to get invested in a show and to have it be canceled and for it to be a show that you enjoy in the brief time that it's on than to have not gotten a chance to to check it out in the first place, I think. So hopefully we do a good job of recommending the ones that ought to be checked out. Yeah, well, that's at least what we try for. Uh, speaking of shows that ought to be uh, checked out, at the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking with Vikram Murthy from the AV Club and Faux Beat Poet about Party Down, another one of those shows that got canceled after two seasons, and yet you should still watch it. Just because it got canceled doesn't mean that it's not a really good show that's still very fun. Uh, anyway, so that'll be at the end of the podcast. Uh, before we get there, I'll just mention we talked uh, with I talked Orphan Black with Beth and Caroline. Nobody's watching Orphan Black, at least that I follow on Twitter. We're going to talk about that later when we get to genre. Talked Arrow with Azandra. Talked Good Wife with Noel and Whitney. Adventure Time with Travis and Mike. I started season one, uh, and I'm already just having a blast with that. Uh, Hannibal with all of you and uh <laughs> and the, we have developed we're starting we're in the the beta mode of our televerse drinking game uh 
I, I'm gonna just put the quick call out there. Make us self-conscious. What are the what should the rules to the televerse drinking game be? So far, I'm already well aware of a few of them, which are drink when either of us says. When I say specifically, absolutely as a transition, because that happens all the time. Yeah, myself as well. Uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> Interesting is Interesting. the only it... adjective that I know apparently. Yeah, delightful. For myself, there's uh, there's several. So you know, let, let, I feel like this is something we should kind of keep building and working on over the next few weeks. You know, if we if we didn't record early in the morning, I would do that as a drinking game. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't have to actually work after this. <laughs> well, let us know, uh, you know, what, what what you hear and what you notice. Uh, it'll, I'm, of course, instantly make me self-conscious, and that's a good thing. Maybe then I'll stop going to the same five adjectives. But for now, uh, I'll just mention that at Sound on Sight, it is still Why You Should Be Watching Month. So Tressa has an article up about why you should be watching Endeavor, and Rochelle has an article up about why you should be watching Fargo. And there will be plenty more of those going up throughout the month. But let's get into a very full week in TV, and we're going to kick things off with a little reality talk and then the comedies. Mm -hmm. Mr. Fischer. I know you're already a wealthiest guy, but think of what that condo money could buy. And I'd open up Bob's Beach Burgers and Fries. Oh, nice things are nice. Uh -uh, not interested. Your own private island, a million eye patches, a gold swimming pool to hold all of your caches. I'd hire real waiters who all have mustaches. Oh, Nice things are nice. This week in reality, I'm just going to mention uh, The Amazing Race, which had its penultimate episode, and the Afghanimals are out. So the the team that I, you know, I didn't really, it wasn't huge on any of the four, final four, but I was like, okay, I'll go with the Afghanimals, just in time for them to get eliminated. I'm screwed for the poll. It's just not, <laughs> the pool, it's not going to happen, but that's okay. I was commiserating with Mario a little bit on uh, on Twitter. He's going all in for uh for dave and connor I, I i'm thinking i'm gonna just need to go all in with like the country girls who shouldn't win but nobody else has gone with them so i need to like cut my losses i had to do the math that's my approach at this point to this season of the amazing race i'm doing the math about uh you know the 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 risk and reward of the various teams that i can pick to try to get points but um as for the actual challenges themselves i thought that they were pretty good i've been disappointed in just how much this season i think every single episode has had a catch up point and yes that can be exciting and all but then the then there, to me it becomes too much about chance and not enough about skill because they, it's a tricky balance. But if if people are catching up every single week and and every, you know every set of challenges, then there is very little benefit to being particularly uh, in intelligent in your approach. And a lot of it then comes down to taxis. A lot of it comes down to uh, just kind of details that are outside of the control of the team. So I'm a little disappointed in that, but. On the whole, I've enjoyed the challenges that they've come up with this season, and um, and the recitation one this week was a particularly uh, entertaining and challenging task. So at least there was that. Uh, I'll tune in, uh, check in a little bit about the finale next week, but let's get to our week in comedy, and we're going to kick things off with the New Girl and Mindy Project finales, kind of talk about them together. We had Cruz and Danny and Mindy, and uh, in Cruz, New Girl stuck with their decision a few weeks ago to to break up Nick and Jess whereas in Mindy Project Danny and Mindy got back together uh what did you think about these two finales and which approach 
do you think worked better for its particular show? Uh, both of them fit, I think, with what these shows have been doing. I am less of a fan of the Mindy Project's approach to kind of traditional romantic comedy storytelling. Um, I kind of just stick with that one for some of the supporting characters. And this finale was fine. I think fans of the Mindy Project will have been satisfied. Uh, I have little hope for that central relationship being something that sustains the third season when that happens, though. Whereas I'm, I'm more optimistic about what New Girl looks like next season, just because they have more at their disposal around Nick and Jess, I think. Um, they, with the Mindy Project, it's absolutely, Mindy is the central character around which everything revolves, and New Girl is a much better ensemble comedy series, I would say, in that respect, and so they can give other characters storylines that can pull weight. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always successful, but they're more successful than the Mindy Project is when doing that. So, um, I've always been a fan of New Girl. I think it's one of the better comedies on the networks. I don't think that this was their best finale. Um, but I'm not as down on it as some of the other critics that I've read and heard are. What did you think of it? Well, the season has been incredibly uneven and problematic, to say the, to say the least. Um, but the finale, I thought, was solid, and I liked a lot of, of what we got on the cruise, and particularly because they didn't get Nick and Jess back together. If they actually commit to these people not being there a forever couple and if they don't get them back together that'll be a really interesting choice and i look forward to following a new girl that will make that choice when i look at the mindy project as much as i enjoyed elements of this finale and as great as i do think uh mindy kaling and chris messina are together i think they have a really this really good pairing and the characters work really well on the show there's a lot of great tension they can get from just the fact that they are two very different people and yet they're people that do feel like friends and feel like they understand and respect each other and know each other very well. That's something the Mindy Project has really succeeded with. However, the other thing that the Mindy Project has succeeded with more than pretty much any other aspect of the show is bringing in guest stars to be romantic foils for Mindy. And if they have Mindy and Danny together uh, long term, which frankly, after that finale and after having broken them up three episodes ago, they need to, or I'm going to be pissed. Uh, then they no longer have that source of material. They can't just keep bringing in new interesting guest stars for Mindy Kaling to, to play off of. And because they've pretty much failed at writing for any of the other characters, I think they have really talented actors, but they're just not using them. And as uh, one of our writers, you know, kind of discussed uh, earlier this year with, with a, a piece at the, at Sundance site, um, they've particularly not been interested in exploring any of the women who work in that area. So it's a very... It's a very specific kind of tone, and almost all of the male characters are defined by their relationships to Mindy, particularly as a romantic interest. So if you take out that source of, of comedy and that source of narrative drive from the show by having Danny and Mindy together, I don't know how the show is going to be able to maintain. And that then that leads you to assume that they're going to break them up and go back and forth, and I'm really, really not interested in seeing that when they got me to invest in the couple, then broke them up, and then got them back together in the course of half of a season. Yeah, there aren't any other relationships, really. Morgan and... And, um... Tamara? Tamara, right. See, that's that's how we had well to think about they that. developed the female characters on the show. Yeah, it's, it's not necessarily something that I care about, 
but I still like Morgan and Peter's fine. I'm glad that that he has a job still. Adam Pally, um, yeah. Yeah. So, eh, the, the, there has to be a way to to make those supporting characters more interesting, so that, like you said, the format is now going to be challenged drastically if there is a long-term relationship here, at least long-term by TV standards. And if there isn't, then like you said as well, that becomes a problem in and of itself. So, like I said, a little less optimistic. Yep. And I'm going to not say the thing I was about to say because I don't want y'all to drink. Let's move on to our next uh, kind of group of comedies. We're just going to quickly kind of talk, talk about Inside Amy Schumer, Bob's Burgers, Veep, and Silicon Valley. Uh uh, save try to save a little bit of time here. Inside Amy Schumer, I enjoyed this episode. There, it was there were fewer different bits or, or, or sketches this week, um, but they went a little bit longer. I think they kind of, they each worked, but uh, I particularly like the button of the the wedding one where it does become you know that she actually is right as much as she's being uh, uh, kind of terrible for breaking up this wedding. She's right to do so. I like that. But uh, but Inside Amy Schumer has not been as successful the past few weeks for me as it was earlier in the season. Um, are you noticing a downturn in uh, consistency or is that, or did I just like the beginning of the season more than you did? Um, I think you probably liked it a little bit more than I did. This hasn't been much of a drop-off for me, if there has been. Uh, it's still, there's still a couple sketches each week that I definitely enjoy. The wedding one you mentioned specifically, and also the the way that she portrays breaking up in a way that I think a lot of people can sympathize with, trying to make it as painless as possible so that, that it is like a, a game show or a reality show almost. Um, well, but, as, as painless as possible for her. She really doesn't care right. how the guy feels. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, it's been about the same level of quality for me that it has been which is fine I'm, I'd rather have like, like a solid comedy show on TV than to have a, a an inconsistently great one so okay what about Bob's Burgers Wharf Horse or how Bob saves slash destroys the town part one um, yeah we've been talking about how Bob's has been on a slightly upward trend in the past few weeks I think that this one hasn't this one wasn't as straight up funny as a few of the other episodes have been it's also not as great of a hijinks episode but i do like the stakes about shutting down the wharf i also like that it is a two-parter um it sounds like just based on our preliminary discussion that i enjoyed some of the music a little bit more than you did though uh but this hasn't been a standout season for bob certainly after a, a truly fantastic third season i thought um and now Fox is doing a weird thing with the next season where it's going to kind of stay at the 7.30 slot, which I don't really know how that bodes for it going forward. But um, but this is one of the, the better network comedies, I think, and I still thoroughly enjoyed this one. Yeah, I thought it was fun, um, but particularly everything involving the carousel really worked for me. Uh, I like that Zach Galifianakis was back as uh, the other the other odor, but yeah, the song didn't work for me. It was felt like it was trying too hard, and um, yeah, I guess I just I kind of miss the tone of of sort of the songs that they the show did earlier on, and I don't want to be that person. I like the early stuff, man, <laughs> uh, which is kind of how I feel. Um, and both I feel that way and then I feel bad about feeling that way. It's a whole thing. Um, but uh, 
but I look forward to seeing what comes next and that visual of of uh, Tina with uh, the bike lock around Mr. Goiter or whatever it was uh, was pretty pretty fantastic. Um, we have Veep in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley was a downtick for me as well. I, I think it's just more because last week's episode was so damn good. Um, how did this one relate to the other? Uh, I I thought even though that I don't really know what the, the narrative decision means or why they decided to do it, throwing Jared onto um, that island with all of the machines was hilarious, if just that. Um, yeah, I guess this was another one where they're trying to find interesting challenges for this group to face, uh, for the startup to face in particular, and having this, this young kid work on some of the cloud stuff and then uh, accidentally mess it up based on the information that Richard gives him was good. But yeah, nothing noteworthy. I still think, though, that it's been a fine season. I don't know about the whole Guilfoyle uh love or not of triangle but the, the the situation that he puts is it romance what is his name dinesh dinesh in, yeah so that probably would work less well for me okay what about veep and uh getting back on the campaign <laughs> the, the finish uh i enjoyed chris maloney as the the new trainer and i thought the return of Catherine was great uh, just watching them look at the video of her punching the guy in the face um, again, solid season of Veep so far. It's fun watching Dan Sweat as the campaign manager right now. Uh, but again, this one didn't have that kind of central plot hook that a couple of the episodes so far have had uh, to revolve around. Yeah, I liked the show exploring guns, the way that they explored abortion in their second episode of the season. And uh, the some of the throwaway moments were really effective for me. I really liked the pairing of Amy and Gary. Now that Amy's no longer vying to run things, she's more defining herself by being close to to Meyer, to Selena, that is. And, and so I thought that, you know, seeing her spend more time with Gary was effective. I really like how they've used Ben this season. I think that's a big shift in the show and having that sort of uh, audience kind of surrogate character. I, I, and I think it's, I mentioned this in my review at the AV Club, I think it's notable that we don't see Ben screw up and we don't see people belittle Ben. Same thing is true with Kent. They're like, they find the whole Kent and Sue thing very disturbing, which I enjoy. Um, but uh, but Ben doesn't screw up and nobody insults or belittles Ben. And that's a unique kind of role within the staff. Right. And which is weird for Veep, which relies on a lot of belittling to to get some of its comedy. So I hadn't even noticed that, but that that's interesting now that you pointed it out. Then I just said interesting. <laughs> yep, drink. Uh, well, anyways, uh, further thoughts over at the AV Club. Uh, feel free to, to leave a comment and, and discuss it. But uh, let's move on to our main comedy this week, and that's Louie, So Did the Fat Lady, and Elevator Part 1. So good. My review of So Did the Fat Lady is up. I shared reviewing duties with Randy this week. Randy reviewed Elevator Part 1. Um, but how fantastic and beautiful and kind of uh crushing was that moment in so did the fat lady before it just becomes wonderful and then i didn't need to breathe you know in the beginning of elevator part one <laughs> man okay where to begin sarah barker's fantastic i i've been missing her presence on tv since go on went off the air which is a show that i actually quite liked speaking of cancellations and investing time that last sequence after the final commercial break, which was just one long shot, was absolutely stunning. And obviously the 
issues that that CK is bringing here are really important, and there's already been a bunch of great pieces that have been written about it. Uh, Libby Hills at, at the AV Club in particular, I thought was very intelligent, and, and one of the things that she mentions in that is uh, a connection to My Mad Fat Diary, the British series, and unfortunately, as she said, it's not really available here, but if some people, if we have UK listeners and who haven't checked out Mad, My Mad Fat Diary, um, an unbelievably good series, a very short one, it's only had two short seasons so far, but a really important episode of Louie, and we sometimes get those. Um, and even more important than something like the three-parter of the the late show, because the issues brought up here, I think, are ones that are going to challenge people, which is why this will kind of generate a bunch of really good think pieces, is because it's going to be really violent, like a girl's episode sometimes is. Um, but just from on the technical level, among the best things that he's ever done on the show and both performances were fantastic. So um, I can go on about this. What did you What did you think? Well, I think, uh, first of all, yeah, like you said, I enjoyed Libby Hill's piece. And, uh, and particularly the, the notion that it's kind of unfortunate that the both My Mad Fat Diary and also Louie, of course, they're bringing up these issues, but it's men bringing up these issues because there are so, female, so few female showrunners let alone uh, female showrunners uh, who would be considered other than conventionally attractive, who would have personal experiences to be able to talk about these issues themselves. Like the fact that it it's guys talking about what it's like to be an overweight woman. It, it, they're doing a great job and it's wonderful, but that's an interesting element to it as well. Also, when I think about these issues, I think of, I immediately go to, to Awkward, the first season of Awkward, which had the mean cheerleader, but she was a, air quotes bigger girl i mean she's not she was normal sized but on tv normal sized is fat so uh and then over the course of the series the the actress and the character have to have gotten increasingly conventionally attractive and so the whole point of that character or the the interesting and new different thing about that character went away due to the pressures of television and uh expectation so you know i do think it's a very significant topic to discuss and i i loved that entire sequence it was like you said it was beautifully shot um but it also I, what what ck does and i talk about this in my review is he really crystallizes an emotion and a feeling in a way that very few other people can. And for me, that the, the, the part that really, yes, everything that, that Vanessa says in that sequence, I absolutely think is, is very well stated, passionately argued and very, very valid. Um, but still the moment for me that most stood out was her disappointment in Louis was her. Don't say that. Don't, Oh, just that that and the way that that CK lets that moment just sit and just gives that s space the space that it needs doesn't worry about him being on frame because it's not about him it's about her uh, just the the execution of that sequence was was fantastic like you said the the other moment that i would point to would be how lily the character resolves the situation which it's not really done out of um, understanding what she's saying completely and then coming from a perspective of enlightenment. He kind of just awkwardly tries to end it because that's the character that he is. So I like that it wasn't attempting to be heavy-handed or anything. So and, and there's not an answer. 
Exactly. He doesn't like what she's saying. It's making him uncomfortable, though he's acknowledging, you know, you can tell that he's acknowledging the truth of it or, or, or some of it's sinking in. You don't know how much, but some of it is. But his solution isn't isn't to, to then, you know, become introspective. His solution is to to take her hand and get her to stop talking yeah. and, and then try to make her laugh, you know. And so, so it's, it's an interest. It's, it's a well-constructed and fascinating <laughs> bit of 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 performance and writing um and then i i mean i think elevator part one is very interesting it's going to be the first curses i already said it everybody drink uh elevator part one is a new departure for for louis because it's the first in a six-parter there can be five more episodes in this sequence sort of like the late show which had three episodes last uh last season so that that is going to be something new and we'll see what happens with that drink <laughs> um but uh but also it's uh i i that that first sequence for me is is the memorable one because i was you know i was getting really nervous and uh i think the performance by the actress who plays jane i don't have her name uh in front of me unfortunately i think she's always great but i particularly enjoyed her this week and and then that that moment of louis confronting her as well as the mother just you know nearly losing it at the house too the 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 dread was absolutely palpable and i i felt that fear i, I mean obviously i'm not a parent i can't know the full extent but watching that sequence made me feel bad for my parents for how they must feel when i you know go to play a gig out of town and forget to call them when i drive in at you know midnight and if they don't know if i've died in a car crash somewhere along the like it made me think about the way that I interact with my parents, and I think that's a sign, a sign that they're doing something right, obviously. Uh, specifically, the decision to cut away from Louis and his ex-wife's conversation just as he's about to give the details of what happened, I think was a good decision. But yeah, this is also um, continuing with all of the unreality that we've seen in these first few episodes as well, because Jane thinks that she's in a dream. And so, again, questioning... Um, I guess the veracity of things that are actually happening is something that Louis has done off and on in the past, but it seems to be a heavier focus right now, which is something that really works for me. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts on, on Louis or the rest of the comedies this week? Uh, well, getting in uh, Alan Burstyn for uh, a cameo was fantastic. It must be really easy for him to get Academy Award-nominated people right now. How, how about uh, Ed Burns, who has, like, one line basically off camera right yeah so the the guest actors in this are absolutely fantastic um i think that's the only thing i have to add it was another great two episodes of louis i also um enjoy that that model and uh sort of the fat lady come back to back yeah lots of interest lots of very nuanced uh discussion there if you want to look for it uh so aside from louis which obviously wins the week in comedy what wins your week in comedy Ooh, aside from Louie, I'll probably give it to the, the New Girl finale for annoying me less than the Mini Project finale. And I'm going to give it to Veep uh, for its many laugh-out-loud moments this week. Uh, it, it, it wasn't quite as good as some of their best episodes this season, but I still was laughing out loud. And that's a surprisingly rare thing for, for somebody uh, like me who likes to laugh and is looking to laugh, but... And watches a bunch of really good comedies. I, I don't tend to laugh out loud. So if a show does actually make me laugh, I very much appreciate it. Next, we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre. Well. 
in genre we'll talk a little rosemary's baby and game of thrones before spending a little bit more time on arrow in the flesh penny dreadful and orphan black Uh, we're already running very long so let's just keep things quick with rosemary's baby shock and astonishment just like every critic said the first uh two hour segment of this miniseries was not very good just so pointless you know i I try to make an effort to kind of understand and appreciate all the the hours of work that go into making shows from a lot of people, but I don't see an audience for this at all. Yeah. I don't know I don't know what kind of person would actually really enjoy Rosemary's Baby on NBC. Well, and I I haven't seen the original because I'm I hear it's amazing. I've got issues about watching Roman Polanski movies anyways, but I hear it's amazing uh and disturbing. So you know, I haven't set aside the time to disturb myself with it. Um, and and so I, I'm not even comparing it to the original and saying it doesn't live up to the original. I'm saying this is less interesting than uh, what was the the haunted hotel, demon hotel show, something 666, Park Avenue 666 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, Park Avenue. Yeah, not that long ago. That was on, that was on I want to say it was on ABC. It may have been on... CBS. Um, anyways, but that 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 show was more interesting than this, and uh, used m- almost all the same ideas and, and tropes that we saw here. Uh, and and that one was such a huge rating success that I'm not surprised nobody watched Rosemary's Baby. Are you going to tune in for part two? Uh, it's just an hour and twenty minutes, so I guess I probably will. Oh my god! <laughs> I'll do it with a with a drink and uh, things prepared to throw at the television. Oh my. No, bad Sean. I'm gonna I'm gonna spotlight it next week. Get ready, listeners. Talking a bunch of Rosemary's Baby. You could be watching The Good Wife. Okay, uh, let's talk about Game of Thrones: The Laws of Gods and Men. This I thought was one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones to date because it did what Game of Thrones needs to do on an episode to episode basis. There's still um, at least one storyline that I think maybe doesn't fit in as well, but. Putting a lot of focus on the Tyrion trial absolutely worked. If this isn't the the Peter Dinklage Emmy submission episode, then um, I fear for what will come in the rest of the season because this is one of the best performances that he's done on the show. Uh, There's a lot of things I want to talk about with you because I know that you've read the books, but uh, we can't talk about that. Uh, Overall, I thought that this was mighty fine, and uh, the Daenerys storyline in particular because she's one that I'm most concerned about right now just based on how they have to find material for her to work with. Um, seeing her rule in Marine and, and have issues is a good way of making her interesting without having to like force her to be moving, or to be on the move, rather. 
Yeah, they they give her they force her to deal with nuance. She hasn't had to, she hasn't done that yet. So uh, watching her rule will be much more interesting than watching her conquer, and that's a theme of the the entire series. Going back to the the first episode, going back to the pilot. Uh, Robert was a great conqueror doesn't mean he's a great ruler and so that that conflict will be something that I'm sure they explore over the next few weeks and there's much more discussion of this in the Sound of Sight Game of Thrones podcast which should hopefully be up in your feed soon we had to delay a day due to some technical uh, and scheduling conflicts but uh, that'll be coming soon and you'll hear my thoughts on the episode there yes it was a very good episode I will have many things to say in the correct forum. Let's move on to Arrow, Unthinkable. Now, we thought this was going to be the Arrow finale, but it's not. There's one more episode. We will tune in with that this week and talk about it on the next podcast. Uh, This was like about my fourth time checking in with the show, and I still don't think it's particularly great, but there is some really awesome action this week, and there's it was more fun than it has been for me in the past. Is this uh, a particularly good episode of the show? So uh, was I digging it more because this is the show really firing on, on, on all cylinders, or did it just happen to be the right blend of things that, I guess, fits in my wheelhouse? This is definitely the right blend of things, so I, I don't necessarily think this is the best written episode of Arrow. I think that it's representative of what the show has done certainly but um man all hell has broken loose which is why i wanted to talk about just a little bit and especially compared to something like shield which i even think has been on a huge upward trajectory since kind of the the post captain america thing um this was a whole lot of fun like you said the action was great uh rest in peace to uh, sebastian blood it's, it's a shame to lose a quality actor like kevin alejandro but he had a great turn as that character this season um, and it's, I'm more excited about this finale than I think any other finale that has aired this year, just because they've done such a good job of building tension in multiple storylines and creating expectations for a lot of things to be addressed in this week's episode. Okay. The, um, I, the moment that I enjoyed by far the most was Felicity just hitting monologuing girl with her car that I'll take more of that, please. That's, and I, and I tweeted about this as well. I am really tired of, of comic book kind of characters or genre characters more than comic book characters taking the world's blame upon their shoulders. It's something I I see every week on supernatural. It feels like, and uh, that's not what that show used to be, but it really feels like what it's kind of become uh, particularly with the Dean character. And you see that in this episode very much with Oliver and it's just, it's a continual theme in genre series, especially ones going with extreme stakes and the whole city's at risk and it's all my fault. you didn't do any of this. It's not your fault. Get out of yourself. You know, like get a little distance here and try to resolve the situation rather than being angsty and dwelling on it. Um, so I'm hoping we'll get a little bit of that. I'm tired of the tortured hero thing. Um, but other than that, yes, there's good action and yes, it's fun. And the characters that have been more problematic for me in the past were barely in this one. So that might've helped too. Good. It's, it's so frustrating having Crixus and Navy on the same show and then not interacting so uh, hopefully we'll get Amanda Waller and Slate Wilson together in some scene. That would be nice. That would be nice. Okay, let's move on to the premiere of Season 2 of In the Flesh, which you will be covering over at Sound On Sight, or you are covering, I should say. Your first review is already up. Uh, this is a show that a lot of people, I don't think, 
caught up with. People set aside time to catch up with the return, the French zombie show, as it were. But I don't know if people have set aside time to catch up with In the Flesh, the UK zombie show, which was fantastic in its first season. Uh, what did any thoughts on the first season of In the Flesh here? And if, I don't know if you want to make a quick pitch for why people should watch it. But um, what did you think of this premiere as well? Okay, so at the top of the hour, we talked about trusting us on some on some shows and please make time to watch it's only three hours there's only three episodes that are about 55 minutes each watch the first season of in the flesh it is absolutely beautiful there's a scene in in the finale in which kieran's talking to his father and it was one of the best moments on television in 2013 overall for me it, it got me bawling um it, the whole cave thing just killed me yeah Absolutely. So good. Um, I said absolutely. Damn it. <laughs> Drink. The thing that it does so well, or that it did so well in its first season, and I can talk about this premiere in relation to that, is that it bounced a lot of intense subjects rather intelligently all at once. And I hesitate to even say what those subjects and themes were because, in some sense, they're kind of spoilers. So just take my word for it, take our word for it. The first season of In the Flesh. Um, has its issues, of course. It's from a, a new writer, a new voice in television, so there are some growing pains, but it is fantastic, I think, and definitely worth checking out. Um, the season premiere that aired on Saturday on BBC America uh, worked less well for me because a lot of the, the stuff that was the driving force in the first season was character-driven, and now it makes sense that, that Dominic Mitchell would kind of build outward That's the creator, that, by the way. But I guess it, it lost some of its luster because of that. For instance, I don't know what the show does with Jem, his sister now, because she kind of experienced her whole arc last season. And so I'm intrigued by some of the directions for some of these characters, but I don't really know how they're going to be handled well. What did you think about kind of the decision to to go world building rather than to kind of focus on the relationships, which is what a lot of the first season was. Well, of course they're setting up a six episode season here. Uh, last season was three episodes and was just the right length for the story they wanted to tell. And this, this year they're going to have twice as many episodes. So it makes sense to me that they're going to, that they're branching out a little bit and telling a little bit more of what's going on in the rest of the country and how that is impacting our characters that we see this week. Um, the new ones that they introduced as well as the returning figures. I thought that there was actually a lot of, of really nice character moments. I really appreciate that. Just, just him putting the towel over the mirror, a moment like that is so character driven and tells us so much of where our lead is at at this point. I also really like what they're doing with Jem and it looks like they're going to explore some PTSD from her. I, I like the further exploration of, of her trauma in relation to her brother and uh, and their difficult relationship and the fact that you can't get away from your local grocery store if you're her. And and so so seeing how even a character like Jem, who has made such a, like you said, who pretty much went through her arc last season and has come out the other side and is understanding and supportive of, of her brother and the other people like him, even she is having a really hard time in in struggling with what she experienced and and you know what she what her new normal now is, even as a human, even as one of the people who hasn't come back from the dead. You know, I think there is still plenty of really interesting character beats to to explore and play with. And yes, there's more world building, but I you know, and it doesn't this doesn't have the wallop of the finale of last season. But that was the finale. This is the premiere. So I think they're introducing new elements, and I look forward to 
to what comes next. I think having forcing Kieran out of the contacts all the time, I think will be a significant uh, development for him or force him to address some issues. And I, I, I would not be surprised to see that sort of be his journey coming, trying to come to some level of acceptance. We saw him try to come into the level of, of acceptance of who he was when he was alive um, last season. And I feel like maybe this season will chart his attempts to come to acceptance of who he is now that he is undead. Two thumbs up for in the flesh. Go watch it, please. Definitely. Definitely go watch it. Uh, Penny Dreadful had its pilot night work. And I think this show is very, very promising. Uh, I, I, I enjoy that all the posters are Josh Hartnett, Josh Hartnett, but that's, he's not the reason to watch this. It's Eva Green and Timothy Dalton, like everyone's been saying. They're wonderful. They really are. And it, it's much better for me because Eva Green is numero uno on my celebrity crushes. So I'm, I'm very glad that she's in. A, a wonderful little horror series and really there's not really um, a, a similar show on TV right now I want to say that most of the horror stuff that we get is a mishmash of like more than 50% supernatural and even American Horror Story which has horror in its title this last season was not horror at all um, and so I think that there's a, a really good place for Penny Dreadful on television right now and they've done a nice job with the pilot. The The story is kind of whatever, but that's fine because the acting is there. Um, the the tension is there. There were a couple – I watched this uh, at night in my room, and so it definitely got me to jump a couple times. That will probably be less so for other people. Um, but even, like, the very moving scene at the end with, with Victor and the creation, I thought, worked surprisingly well. Yeah, the, there are elements here that people will not be surprised by that they will expect, but I think they're handled well, and there's an appropriate level of self-awareness for a show called Penny Dreadful. That makes a big difference for me. It's it's really enjoyable, it's having fun, and it's okay with having fun. And, and I look forward to seeing what comes next. I mean, just watching Victor inspect the teeth, you know, they're, they're screwing with the audience. We know they're screwing with the audience, but that doesn't make that moment any less effective for me. Uh, so, so there's, there's plenty to enjoy here and I look forward to, to what comes next and how these different elements continue to expand and, uh, play in, uh, tie in to each other. Uh, shall we move on? Orphan Black? Let's do it. Governed as it were by chance. I was very, very disappointed to see Orphan Black finish i i was able to see this one ahead of time I've, I've seen next week's episode as well and it's also very good um i was very disappointed to see orphan black finish and then see nobody talking about it on twitter because i thought this was, this was a fantastic episode particularly its final sequence which is one of the best the show's ever done is nobody watching orphan black or am i following the wrong people on twitter I'm not sure because pre-air reviews definitely were positive and it's weird because this was such a breakout hit last year that it seemed like everybody was talking about it. So maybe it's just kind of um, settled into a, a constant viewership and, and they're kind of just a little quieter this time around. But you're right, there was a lot to like in this episode, that scene in particular. Um, I Again, I've really enjoyed what they're doing with Cal, putting him in that scene with Kira, where he gets to kind of try to be a father, was great. Um, and I am much more positive on the, the Helena stuff this time around. Yeah, I thought this Helena stuff was great. Where I can't 
believe that I am at, that the show is managed once again to make me explode to, to explode my brain with how good Tatiana Maslany is. I didn't think that was possible at this point. And granted, Rachel has been less successful of a creation and uh, I mean, from performance level as well as writing as the other characters. But in this last moment, Maslany, her abilities, her talent and her performance exploded my brain again. I didn't think she could exceed my expectations anymore, but apparently she could. And she did that. That performance, both as Sarah and as Helena, that's some of the best that either character has been. Yeah, it really has. The the acting in that, the utter terror on Sarah's face and... It was visceral! Yeah. And just how... How did they creepy do she is. How did they what? How did they do that? I know how they did it. I've seen the featurettes, but still... But Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Please continue. No, you're, you're right to be excited about it, because it's something that probably people are now taking for granted, that, that her talent to display different types of emotions through different characters... Um, is something to be admired, and it certainly is in this episode. Um, I'll also say I'm glad to see Roger Cross on the show as as Siobhan's former love interest, maybe current love interest, now out of jail. He's also on Continuum, so more parallels to the two Canadian sci-fi series. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all on board the Orphan Black train, so maybe we'll spotlight an episode to appease your disappointment that more people aren't talking about it. The, and if you liked uh, the Sarah uh, Helena stuff this week, uh, there's there's or last week I should say there's there's more wonderful Sarah Helena stuff coming this week, and that's all I'll say about the episode to come. I'm excited to write about it. Uh, my Orphan Black reviews should hopefully continue to go up right as the episode ends over at Sound on Sight this season. I'm very excited to. Uh, be writing about that but uh what wins your week in genre sir this is the most difficult one i don't know i thought this was one of the, the better game of thrones episodes as i've said the arrow one was really exciting um i love it in the flesh but i was less keen on the premiere and orphan black was great i'm gonna i'm gonna have to be as objective as possible and say that the, the Tyrion trial wins over all the other things okay i'm gonna give it to orphan black i think if maybe if i had a different perspective on Game of Thrones. If I wasn't a book reader, that might have affected. I mean, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. But I have that sense of discovery with Orphan Black in a way that I don't with mu much of Game of Thrones as as much as I do really enjoy that show. So I'm going to give it to Orphan Black this week. But I think Game of Thrones, nobody's going to argue with you there. That, that was a fantastic episode. Argue now with me. <laughs> now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama.
week in drama, I'm going to quickly preview Gang Related, the new show on Fox. We'll talk a little Good Wife, The 1%, Elementary, Art in the Blood, The Americans, Stealth, Fargo, Eating the Blame, and Mad Men, The Runaways. First, Gang Related will be starting up uh, this week on Fox. This is a crime drama about a a cop who's undercover in a gang unit who has ties to the organized crime uh, in his hometown or in his uh, neighborhood, I should say. And he's torn between loyalties and it's, yeah, you, you probably already have a sense just from, from that. If, did you like the departed? Then you will hopefully like gang related only it's a different setting and it's very different characters and it's not directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, So, you know, there's all, all of those, uh, those elements of undercover cop torn between loyalties is he going to stay true to his his childhood friend or his partner or his father figure? You know, he's a conflicting father figure at work, uh, played by Terry Quinn, one of the few strengths of the show, and uh, as well as the organized crime boss. But um, it's just, I mean, I here's the thing. I watched the pilot for Gang Related when it first became available to critics, and then I forgot that I had watched it a couple months later, so I had to watch it again uh, so that I could talk about it here. It's not very good. It's completely uh, not memorable in any sort of way. Watch it if you want to watch Terry O'Quinn be the stern but uh, but supportive father figure captain guy. He's very good in this role, even though it's a nothing role. But there are way better things to be spending your time on. And uh, any of these other shows we're going to talk about uh, fit that bill. So watch those instead. Uh, the Good Wife... Uh, the 1%, you haven't had a chance to watch this one yet. I thought there was some really fun stuff. I love whenever a, a show or a character uh, on my TV just, you know, dismisses Ayn Rand, which we get a little bit of that this week. So that just sort of fits with my politics and my, you know, literary criticism, I guess. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, there there was some really nice stuff. I like what they're doing with Diane. And I think that's interesting for next for next week, as well as, you know, we get a little bit of Kalinda and Alicia conversation. But uh, the heart of this episode for me really was very much Eli and his relationship, his discovery of Alicia and Peter's current situation, how that's handled and how that affects him as well as the other people in, in his work life, which is also very much, it seems his personal life. Uh, I like what they're doing with Finn. I think that could be interesting. Um, and how everything, you know, they built Castro up nicely to be a villain and how that all plays out should be interesting and how that all plays out should, uh, you know, should give us plenty of material in, in next week's finale. So I'll, I'll leave it there. We're going to talk about Good Wife next week. We're going to have a season spotlight, assuming I can find a, a guest to come on to talk about it with us. But um, for for now, I continue to enjoy The Good Wife, and and uh, I look forward to what's next. Elementary Art in the Blood, Mycroft works for the British government. Shock! What a surprise! <laughs> I, I almost thought that they were going to go a different direction just because um, Elementary has done a good job and Robert Doherty has done a good job of uh, adapting this material in interesting ways. Uh, even so, still fine. I, I think that the character is a good addition to the series overall. I'm I'm very excited to see kind of what happens now that Sherlock is forced into a position where he needs to ally with him again after everything that's happened with, with him and Joan. Um and again, they, they always find creative ways of doing the, the weekly crime plot. So to have somebody's arms severed because there is invisible ink tattoos on them is just kind of superficially fun, which is part of Elementary's charm. So 
again, mostly a setup to this week's finale, um, but a, a solid continuation of the Mycroft arc that's ending this season. See, I agree with you. However, uh, the one thing I really didn't need was, oh, you did it all for your brother anyway, so you're really the self-sacrificing... I mean, come on. That's just... I'm really tired of that. Let's make let's make him a uh, Mycroft more interesting than a self-sacrificing hero, you know, ruining his life to to save his brother and I mean I, I didn't need them to have Mycroft and Joan wind up in bed again just so that they could have Sherlock show up I mean come on I, I'm I'm not opposed to that being a relationship that is explore, explored on the show but uh to have such a predictable and stereotypical response from Joan you know Yes, he did all this to save his brother, but he still lied to you and put your life at risk. And so the fact that she just apparently doesn't care because they want to have Sherlock find her in bed with Mycroft, that's the only reason I can think of why they didn't have her care. Um, I just, it's just, it's disappointing. So I'm hoping that there's going to be something more interesting done with it, uh, with that relationship and uh, the direction of, of that part of the show next week in their finale. They're all going to die. They're all going to die. Everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> what about in the Americans, uh, Stealth? Do you think next week, next two episodes, everyone's going to die? Yep. Everybody's gone. Everybody's it's gone. It's going to be a, a rewriting of the Cold War. It's actually going to bring in a lot of the Vietnamese characters. So that's okay. going to happen. Um, you talked about in, in the Arrow discussion uh, issues of kind of being a hero and having that weight upon shoulders. And I thought heroism was a really interesting theme in uh, this episode. Because during Henry's conversation with Stan, when he's interviewing him, that that worked rather well. And I thought that, that Oleg was probably the most heroic of the characters in the episode, allowing Nina to have the opportunity to, if she can't turn Stan, to run away. So that was a great turn for that character, who hasn't had a bunch to do in the last couple episodes, despite being a very big presence this season overall. He's not been very explored or developed since his early scenes. Uh, and and so, yeah, that was a good moment for him. I, I'm curious what you think. I really don't think she's going to be able to turn Stan. I don't. I, I think she knows that. I think she understands Stan and understands the situation well enough to know that he's not going to turn against, uh, against his agency and against his country. Would, do you agree with that, Reed? Absolutely. Um, I don't see the Americans going that route this early so this is only the second season and this time last year I'm sure many people were worried I think I remember you and Simon talking about it like there's no way Nina's making it out of the season but now I don't really know like where they take her character because it seems like she's really backed into a corner so that's a huge question mark for me and one that I'm excited to see develop if it gets developed at all maybe it gets cut off and she dies <laughs> I was surprised to see Kate killed this this early or this quickly i thought that was a, a bold move and i'm happy about it i think that also it, it's a good way to deal with the loss of Margot martindale it's like claudia would never be taken out by this guy uh so when they don't have claudia anymore they're like, okay what storylines can we explore that we wouldn't be able to do with that claudia character let's introduce this very different character so we can take her in a different way and wind up with her dying heroically i guess by not spilling the beans but you know, still being killed by this person that they've wronged, which lets us see sort of the effects of Philip and Elizabeth's decisions come back 
come back on them in a new way. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on, on this episode or, or what's coming next? Do you think they've uh, done enough exploration of the murders that started out the season or has that thread been lost? Um, they've, they've done a good job with that. I imagine that that will be addressed as well in the next couple episodes, just because Stan is still on that trail. I'll say, I'm going to butcher his name, but a shout out to Jelko, even that, uh, who also played a, a cancer ridden character on this season of Banshee, his scenes with, um, Matthew Reese felt tonally out of place in this episode, but that's why I really liked them. They were these really kind of quiet and almost creepy scenes that that were good breakups for a lot of the action that was happening. So I, I actually really enjoyed his character in this episode. Absolutely agree. And I particularly enjoyed that uh that look, that 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 character for Matthew Reese for, for Philip. The the Vietnam and then the way that he just sort of lets it drop when he realizes that it's not necessary. He doesn't need to bond with him over conspiracies. This is a man who's very sick and very in need of, of help. Uh, to survive. So, so, you know, I, I appreciate the handling of that. And then the, the last thing I'll mention is the, the, the development of Paige while all of this is going on, I thought was the, the material for her this week was very well handled. And I like Elizabeth supporting her, you know, her new approach to how she's reading Paige and her acting out air quotes through religion. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, we mentioned it last week that uh, this really, shouldn't be working as well as it is as it is and they've not really found the same kind of groove for henry but whatever but uh that's that's been a good addition i don't really know how that gets resolved as kind of like a, an overall b story for this season in the next two episodes but i imagine they'll find um a nice way to leave that yeah uh, let's go on to fargo eating the blame this is the episode i was most looking forward to everyone seeing it's the final episode that we got Critics got screeners for initially at the the start of of the you know before the season began and just that sweater that sweater on uh, Billy Bob Thornton when he's being the preacher it was just so wonderful I just if, if Billy Bob Thornton's performance wasn't engaging and entertaining enough when he was just kind of being evil throwing this layer on top of it oh delightful yeah that's. That was the standout moment in this episode, and I'm having a hard time remembering the rest of the details because it was last Tuesday, but um, his scenes with Colin Hanks were among the better ones, and man, he, he's just killing it with um, the different portrayals of uh, Malvo and the other characters that he has to be. Like, he's easily the standout performer. I guess that's not really a surprise because it's Billy Bob Thornton, but... You know, you see other actors on the bill like Martin Freeman and, and Thornton is still standout in a role that really isn't all that deep, but he manages to infuse kind of the the Mephistopheles antagonist in a way that it's it's really engaging. Yeah, and you know, I think that uh I'm just not gonna I'm just gonna say it. Y'all drink. I think it's interesting that Everyone couldn't uh, help. You had to kind of fall over themselves to talk about, oh, my God, we have a movie star here, uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, and Matthew McConaughey giving such great performances on TV when when it was true detective. But 
here we have another movie star giving a wonderful performance on Fargo. I think it's just as interesting, just as engaging as the true detective material in a, a very different style, style and tone, but I think just as strong a performance and nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares about it. And uh, yes, it's the flashier of the roles. I think Alison Tolman's doing great work and uh, especially the pairing of her and Colin Hanks has really been effective for me. But uh, I think Fargo is underappreciated right now. And maybe it's because the, it's not as, as, riddled with mysteries and riddled with uh what uh what's the king in yellow the way that people you know really felt that true detective was but i think i think uh malvo is a more interesting character uh for me than at least the woody harrelson character on, on true detective oh i see yes, I, I actually enjoy woody harrelson's character a lot more than uh, matthew mcconaughey so we'll have fighting words later about that but you're right <laughs> um it's it's just as interesting, just in a different way. And I think probably Fargo is um, less, man, I don't even want to say less atmospheric than True Detective because, again, it's a really different kind of atmosphere. But like Orphan Black, probably fewer people are talking about this than they ought to be. Um, our final show this week in drama is Mad Men, The Runaways. And this was this was a weird one. Yeah, less, like last week had two parallel storylines that absolutely made sense when put side by side. This one I'm not as sure about in, in that regard, looking at structure and form. Um, a lot of great moments, a lot of weird and unfortunate ones for Michael Ginsburg, who cuts off his nipple and gives it to Peggy because that's the conduit through which the computer is speaking. Well, I mean, ears are so great. Everyone's done ears. <laughs> yeah, you had to do something, right? Um less keen on Betty's involvement in this episode, at least the half of it that has to deal with her talking uh, politics around Henry, but love the interaction uh, with her and Sally, um, and just Sally's snark is always something that is a lot of fun, but the highlight, absolutely, I think, and, and most people, I imagine, would agree is seeing Don go into that meeting uninvited, and just opened it up to the, the commander people at Philip Morris that he can take care of business and probably make Lou much less relevant, which is something that I think we want to see because Lou is terrible, although he has a nice comic about Scout's Honor. <laughs> yeah, the Lou was... They, they've done such a good job of making Lou terrible, but in a realistic kind of way, and he's... Uh, even you know even more terrible this week as he ruins Don's uh, weekend plans he doesn't realize he's ruining Don's weekend plans and that the fact that Don can't fly out that night means that that uh, Megan is going to basically kick Stephanie out because she feels threatened by her the uh because the fact that this is the only person left who can call Don Dick and uh that has that kind of a relationship with him uh, it's disappointing that Megan does that, but uh, you know, because I, I, I've been on Team Megan, really for for most most of her run, and I think she's a very interesting character. Drink, and I think that uh, she her relationship with Don is is something I've really enjoyed. I like that Don. I I like that I kind of forget that Don can just call her and say, "Hey, this is Anna's niece. She's coming up," and that that her and Megan and, and Don do have that shared bond that really he has not had with any other woman with Betty. It was a sore subject when he finally told her. So yeah, I've, I've been a Megan supporter, but she's not acting that response uh, that, that maturely 
at all uh, in in her interactions with Don. Certainly, his he's not helping things as much as he could. But um, I was disappointed to see that development, though it felt honest and truthful and all, and all of that good stuff. As for the rest of the episode, um, I really enjoyed the Sally and and Bobby scene actually. And as for Betty, I like this notion of her wanting to have her own ideas and explore who she is and have ideas of her own and really explore what she thinks and feels about the world. I just kind of wish it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's probably part of the reason why I had an issue with it, the execution and the kind of just diminished Henry uh, into being an asshole, which is fine, but it's not really that nuanced. So that was whatever. Like you said, the yeah. Megan stuff was unusual, but also truthful in a way just because she's trying to feel out how to best approach this struggling marriage and one of those ways is to have a threesome so that was unusual and she's quite disappointed with Don's reaction the morning afterwards but uh hey well, you know you're not in a good position when your husband would rather go out drinking with Harry Crane uh than stick around at the party yeah. Well, I mean, come on. We we knew he wasn't going to fit in at that party. He's he, he, five years ago, maybe at the same party. Yes, but he's he's too tired. He's he's you know it's that's not that's not a scene anymore. He's not uh, he's not hanging out with Midge, getting high anymore. It's not who he is. But uh, there there's two more episodes to come this year, as well as of course the all next year's half of the season. So there's there's plenty more I'm sure to come. Hopefully, we'll get a little bit more with Joan next week but uh that remains to be seen uh, any final thoughts on Mad Men or uh, what wins your week in drama see the waves from my computer are are telling me that it's got to be Mad Men that's influencing me i'm sorry okay uh Mad Men is probably the best of these but i i had more fun with Fargo this week and uh and even the and even the good wife so I, i'm going to give it to Fargo just out of not enough people are talking about it. Solidarity. So uh, Fargo wins for, for me. A few show notes. A post is up for this episode at Sound on Sight where you can leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about uh, the week's TV and all these finales. It's finale palooza this week. Uh, lots of, of finale coverage to Sound on Sight. Uh, but uh, also just, you know, we'll be talking about all of that next week. And you can like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound on Sight TV. You can subscribe in iTunes. Uh, to, to the Televerse feed, we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. Of course, we would appreciate feedback uh, from you there. Reviews and ratings are very much appreciated. They do help other people find the show. You can also send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sean Coletti. And we also have uh, some writing other places. You can see, see my reviews of Veep at the AV Club and Sean. Uh, some of my stuff at TV Overmind right now. Louis, Penny Dreadful, The Americans, and Hannibal. So lots of uh, lots of writing, sound aside, and other places. But uh, Sean, what is our question of the week? Uh, well, up to this point, at the time of the recording, we've just gotten the NBC and um, Fox upfront announcements. So we'll be checking in with CW, uh, ABC, and CBS. But uh, I guess my question is, what what announcements? You know, cancellation, renewal, or upcoming pilot uh or upcoming series rather are you most affected by i don't want to say excited because you're probably not excited about cancellations of shows that you like um, but what what was the announcement that garnered the most reaction out of you good question um i'm still gonna give it to excitement for hannibal and then secondarily uh disappointment for enlisted yeah those i think those will be rightfully popular ones um I'll say that I'm most excited about Gotham. 
I would suppose that'll be a popular choice as well. But uh, now we'll take a, a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Vikram Murthy from Phoebe Poet and the AV Club to talk Party Down. Do you know what you get when you hire a Party Down catering team? At Party Down, we have a simple motto. It's your party. You deserve to enjoy it. But how are you going to enjoy the party if you're worried about whether the shrimp cocktail's been sitting out too long or is there enough ice or do the guests think the party is lame or are they stealing stuff or are they going through the medicine cabinet because they're nosy or because they think they might find something that'll give them a rockin' buzz? I used to do that last thing. Not anymore. Clean and sober. Um, wow, that, that, that is quite a motto, Mr. Donald. Ron Donald, here's you. Watch this guy. He thinks because he's a writer, he's the only one who knows anything. That's why they call it the Palisades, bro. That's why you can't sell a decent script. Because everyone's completely stupid. No one knows Repo Man, but they'll hire this idiot for a show about defensive walls. Whew, well, good thing it's not about walls. That's what Palisades means. Okay, well, maybe it's not as cool as your script about worms. Wormholes. Have you ever heard of physics? A tear in the fabric of time. Roman. A wormhole. What am I not hearing? I don't know, a squid? There are other options, I Music, suppose. pronto. Okay. All right. You ever heard of Karma Rocket? No. It's my band. Ah. And, uh, you know, I do some modeling and stuff, too, so that's pretty cool. So you're, you're like, in the overall handsome business. Yeah. All right. You an actor? Ron said you're, like, a star or something? No, 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 not really. Who's your agent? State Farm. Awesome. They give you some good auditions and stuff? We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Sean Coletti. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are channeling the, the slew of cancellations this week by discussing a short-lived but beloved uh, comedy series, which is, of course, Party Down. And here to help us talk about it from the AV Club is Vikram Murthy. Did I just say your name right? You said my name perfectly. How's it going? Thank you for having me on. Um, now, now, Vikram, why did you want to talk about uh, Party Down? What made it stick out in your memory? Yeah, no, I was looking through a lot of your previous selections, and of course, many of my favorite shows have already been discussed. And uh, I, the one that stuck out to me that wasn't on there was Party Down, um, which to me is easily one of my favorite comedies of uh, you know last ten years or so. Um, I tend to like my comedies a little darker, uh, a little, little uh, with a little more strain of melancholy, and you know they take dramatic stakes a little more seriously and uh i always like party down because it had a it had a really dark core it was like a comedy about failure and desperation and delusion um and that was that was always what i really really it drew me to the show <laughs> yeah it's it's a show that i had been meaning to catch up with for forever it's one of those ones that i just wasn't too worried about because I knew eventually somebody would pick it for the DVD shelf and then I could like scratch it off my embarrassed I haven't seen list. So I was very glad to catch up with it this week. Uh, I heard about it when it was airing. I didn't have stars then. So I of course didn't yeah. have a way to watch it. <laughs> no one had stars. <laughs> yeah, nobody had stars. And this, of course, is aired in uh, 2009 to 2010. Um, but, uh, yeah, no one that I knew at least had stars. No one I know has stars now, <laughs> but certainly you didn't really think stars. Oh, I know uh, rip roaring comedy. Right. Exactly. So it's sort of somewhat of an odd beast there, but the cast, you know, being a fan of, uh, of course, Rob Thomas and the, the other executive producers, uh, from their work on Veronica Mars and then Paul Rudd because he's Paul Rudd. Uh, right. I was familiar with it. I love this cast. We'll talk about them uh, here moving forward. But um, but no, I mean, 
I just had, hadn't caught up with it. And it's really fun for me to now look, you know, catch up with the series these few years later and to see most of this cast doing so well in other projects. Oh, absolutely. No, it has one of my favorite ensemble casts uh, in a comedy. They Everyone plays off each other really well. Um, everyone sort of has a unique uh, characterization that is, you know, really benefits sort of the overall thrust of the show. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, Adam Scott and Lizzie Kaplan have some of the best chemistry and uh, uh, Martin Starr. And uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the guy who played... Um, uh, Ryan Hansen. Uh, Ryan Hansen. There we go. Yes, uh, they they have great chemistry, and uh, no, the whole the whole cast really works, and it really sells a lot of what the show is trying to do. Sean, were you familiar with Party Down? Did you watch it while it was airing, uh, or was this a discovery for you? Uh, I have an ongoing list of one season and two season shows that got canceled, and I've been kind of plowing through it. And Party Down was relatively soon, so I would have gotten to it eventually. Uh, but no, I hadn't seen it when it aired, although I do have stars, so you at least know one person <laughs> who has it. Uh, Spartacus you know. forced me to get it, so that's yeah. well, that's, that's my, my deal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I hadn't seen it yet. I obviously know a lot of these, these actors from different shows that are on right now or that have been on in the past few years, and I was very pleased to, to watch this, especially just to see what a star's comedy series looks like, because <laughs> right now they're obviously very action-adventure-oriented, so... Um, I, I, and they don't seem to be going in that direction to get more sitcoms on onto their programming. So this is this was a lot of fun to, to watch, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that you know they this was this, Party Down premiered in like the early days of Stars' original programming, and I, if my recollection serves me, this was a show that like was shopped around to HBO and to a lot of other places, and I think Stars jumped on it because they really wanted a comedy. And it was it was relatively cheap, and it was just this little watch, tiny network at the time, and still is. But it was even smaller then, so it's 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 a weird miracle that the show even sort of got on the air when everyone sort of passed on it and came up. I've been trying to think of what where tonally, like what network, it seems right. like this show would fit with because there are elements. Obviously, there's several of this cast are doing hilarious things over in, on Adult Swim right now. And uh, then there's, uh, you know, but it doesn't really fit with that aesthetic. It, it feels too uh, based in grounded and based in reality to really fit there. And I don't think it quite fits with FX because it's not, there's there's some, all sorts of different types of humor, but it's not as, uh, you know, they're not as terrible as the people on FX comedies tend to be. Uh, do you, I, I'm trying to think of where it would have been, like where it would have found a home and really thrived. I don't know that it, there was a place in 2009 for the show. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think back then it would have fit into Showtime's lineup, but I think right now, tonally, I think it really goes well with episodes. And I think that this is obviously a better series, but they feel um, one with each other, I would say. That makes sense. Yeah, I, um, I agree. Uh, I think they would play off really well, like it's sort of a double bill. For me, as much as I absolutely agree that this, the chemistry with Adam Scott and Lizzie Kaplan is, is fantastic, for me, so much of this series, especially in the, the first season and, and the second half of, of the second season, really comes down to Ken Marino. Absolutely. And his role as Ron, uh, leading leading the group, he's... I've enjoyed his work for a long time. I, I was introduced to him specifically as opposed to that guy because of his work on Veronica Mars as Vinnie Van Lowe. But uh, but 
he, he his commitment to that character it's it's a ridiculous ridiculous character but you believe him wholeheartedly throughout this series oh absolutely um i i think what's really interesting is is like ron's both uh commitment to a dream that's a lot smaller than everyone else's on the show you know he just wants to be like the best damn carer ever and he wants to he wants to do that to own the super crackers business which is you know absurd and and crazy but he he believes in it and what i found really interesting was that every everyone sort of pokes fun at ron because he's you know so uptight and a little over the top but what push comes to shove they have this i i feel like especially henry he has this immense respect for ron's ambition and ron's commitment to this dream and I, I, I really like the relationship between Ron and Henry because they, they had this friendship that went back prior to the events of the series. But I really think that there's this mutual respect between the two where Henry, when push comes to shove, really will try and help Ron. And, and Ron is always trying to look out for Henry. And there's this idea that they're both sort of broken and they're both sort of, you know, not where they want to be, but they're going to try and help each other out the best they can, even if they're in a bad spot. Well, I mean, because Ron is, he's a dick a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. But it, we're seeing everything, at least in the first part uh, of the show, very much through Henry's eyes. And so then, and that, that remains throughout the series. So when we get to the second season and they've swapped roles and they're basically both doing the same thing that the other person did, but the show is still in Henry's point of view. You know, I, I think it puts another, it puts a different light on the kind of behavior that, Ron is constantly having to deal with from his team. And yet, despite their immaturity and lack of, of uh, respect for the rules and, and basically their lack of caring about anything that they're doing, he knows that he doesn't fire them. He sticks up for them. Uh, when we have that uh, season two episode with uh, at, at the club with uh, where um Martin Starr's character spends the entire episode Roman spends the entire episode trying to get revenge it's like yeah. at, at the end of the the episode he's Ron is talking about the demerits and he's like okay, you know Roman gets a pass because of revenge it's like you, you get to, <laughs> there's a real sense of camaraderie and 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 team from Ron as well as you know protectiveness from everybody else about Ron absolutely yeah no I completely agree I think that really sums up what is going on with that character because you know, the, it, it, like him, and extends to a lot of party down characters is that there's this immense like sadness underneath a lot of, you know, the exterior where you know he's he's really trying to do his best and he feels sort of very protective and connected to his team, but there's you know there's always going to be a little disconnect, especially when he's the boss and you know he's not on the same plane as everyone else. And like you said, when the roles are switched, he's kind of put in Henry's position, and Henry, of course, is put in the awkward position of being the boss to Ron and telling him to, you know, take a, take a shower or, and to change your clothes and to, you know, not be stoned on the job and all of this stuff. That's, you know, sort of what Ron's job was doing, but it, it, it I feel like the two sides of that relationship are really tested when Henry sees what Ron's going through and Ron sort of understand Henry's, you know, lack of ambition after basically bottoming out on his acting career. Well, uh, Sean, what was the character that you saw as the center of the show? Okay, so that's a very different question to my favorite character, which is easily um, Roman. But I would say 
Ron probably is the the emotional core. What you guys have been saying is absolutely true. And to see that role reversal, especially in the season two, episode two, where he's just purposely trying to get to Henry by, you know, taking this Vicodin or pretending to have really loud sex. That That's hilarious. But also, like, how all of these characters deal with failure is really interesting. And I think that Ron works as the center of that because his is the most admirable response to it. Uh, he's a lot like Leslie Nope in that it doesn't really matter how many times uh, he experiences failure. He keeps coming back in stronger ways, which is something that I think is really easy to root for as an audience member. So uh, even though the show focuses more on uh, Henry and Casey's relationship, I would say that, that Ron kind of anchors the whole thing. Let's get into that that uh, Henry and, and Casey relationship a little bit here, because apparently the Lizzie Kaplan was the only character, the only actress that was a recast. There was a different actress playing Casey in, in the show and the original pilot, and I cannot imagine the show with a different actress as Casey, because the, she, the, that portrayal, it's so distinctly... Lizzie Kaplan-y, what we think of as being Lizzie Kaplan-y, uh, and, and that rapport between uh, Casey and Henry is so particular. I just, I can't imagine another another vibe or another uh, take on that relationship. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, I, I think Party Down was my first introduction to Lizzie Kaplan. I, I think she played, she had a cameo or, or a small bit role in Freaks and Geeks, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, no, I, Party Down was the first introduction to Lizzie Kaplan and my first introduction. And I think the way, you know, I'm, I'm not a shipper by trade, but I, I really do root for Henry and Casey throughout this whole thing because I really enjoy their banter. I really enjoy sort of the way they play off each other. And I, I like the idea that, you know, Casey is this person who's, who's still dreaming and is still trying to get out there and succeed. And she's sort of paired up with this guy who is very comfortable, you know, having given up on his dream and is sort of drifting, you know, through life. And I think they come from very two, two different places, but they're sort of bonded by the sense that they're, you know, they're a little different than everyone else on the team and they, they understand each other better. And I think that is what really sells their relationship. The show does a great job of establishing their rapport uh, and their comfort with each other just immediately. They're, they're, they're both individually stressed out or in a bad place, and then they have that first scene together, and they immediately feel at ease. And ra rather than um, immediately building up some sort of, like, UST or, 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 uh, or just hypercharged moment, they just let the characters fit together in a way that's really refreshing and uh, you know i wish more shows would take that approach talking about shows and the approaches that they take it would be good to talk about i think the structure of this because we get like drama procedurals right and so cases of the week but this is like a party of the week i don't know if i, I might be forgetting something like really obvious but one of the reasons that i really enjoyed party down so much is because there aren't really any comedies right now that do that kind of procedurally format even brooklyn 99 doesn't focus on a case of the week each week i think there are other character stuff going on there um but this really does use that party of the week structure really well the moving setting is a really key part to that as well it's a great point sean and as much as there are shows that brooklyn nine is a great example where yes there is a case of the week but it tends to be a very small part of each episode and because we have the same characters but they move to a different very different location 
each week that that individual element of, of the party that they're at and what that how that shapes the interactions and the the sources of comedy it, it makes each episode very distinct and it, it's another one of these elements that separates out this comedy from the, the types of comedies we tend to see can you think of another show that has a completely different setting every week i i really can't you know i'm actually trying to rack my brain for one because i i it seems like sean is right that there should be an obvious one that like I'm missing, but I, I can't think of any. And I think it's what, if the show would have, you know, been on the air longer, it would have kept it fresh necessarily because you're not, you know, in the same office, you're not in the same police station. You know, you're the, I think the change of the setting sort of, you know, kind of cements a lot of the character interaction and that can stay consistent in sort of the characterization. But by changing up the setting every week, you add different stakes to each episode and it makes them more interesting. And it, it is definitely like a structural uh, element that would have kept the show, I think, fresher, even as it if it went on to its later years. The the other element about that about this structure to the show that really works is that because they are going to a different party every week for the guest characters they bring in, this is a very important and heightened day for them. So the guest characters can be very, you know, up to 11 with their responses, even just in the pilot. Enrico Colantoni's character is having like a midlife crisis and on a normal day, that wouldn't come up, but it's centered around this party that he's throwing. And that's something we continually see over the course of the series. Each of the characters is allowed to be, you know, a little bit more heightened because this is a day they have theorized been building to for for quite a while much as it is just another day of the week for our main characters yeah that's absolutely one of my favorite aspects as well there aren't really i'm trying to think jk simmons and his wife and maybe one or two other ones who appear in more than one episode but that format allows for so many great guest turns and i think that that that's a, a big reason that this was successful in that uh week by week format because Having the character stuff going on between the regular cast is great, but having uh, recognizable actors to bounce off of in each party, I think, really added a lot to that dimension. Yeah, it also just gives the entire show like uh, more freedom to kind of do uh, a lot of different things based on where they are. You know, off the top of my head, you know, placing them in a funeral uh, gives the entire episode a different feel than placing them in a community theater when they're catering a community theater, like because there are such different elements in every setting it forces you know characters who are pretty set in their ways and you know who engage with you know the other characters in, in a way that we are accustomed to it, it makes everything feel a little fresher just by having say roman play off of community theater actors or having um henry uh talk to the widow of uh the recently deceased you know it's it's it allows for different interactions and allows for different uh, just sort of elements to kind of bubble to the surface that we wouldn't usually see if we were, you know, in the same setting every week. And with those guest characters comes quite a bit of, at least for me, uh, spot the guest star. And so one of the ones that pops immediately to mind is it's great to see Josh Gad pop up. This is before Book of Mormon and everything that's come for him since. But he's he's one of the characters in an episode where, you know, a few years ago, I, I would have been 
Very excited to see the Veronica Mars alumni, and I'm still excited to, to see them in, in that episode. Alana Tal and Jason Doring are both in that episode uh, with the young, the young Conservatives Club or Republicans Club or whatever it is. But I also was particularly enjoying seeing Josh Gad pop up. Were there other faces that were maybe not as big when they were cast in, in the episode but have since gone on to more prominent roles that, that you guys appreciated seeing pop up? One of my favorite episodes is the... Uh, Ricky Sargalesh, where they're they're catering the um, basically like this Russian mobster and his party. Uh, Steven Weber, I think, is someone who doesn't get a lot of. Uh, I, I don't see him in a lot of stuff actually, and I think that he plays that character super well. Um, I always enjoy seeing Kristen Bell come up occasionally, you know, as as Uta Bank, who is you know she later starts dating Henry in season two. Nat uh, Faxon's in that episode as well. Yes, he is. I completely forgot Nat, Nat Faxon was in there. Um, I think Thomas Lennon, although he's been in a lot of stuff, he was he was at the Orgy episode, um, and I, I always enjoy seeing him. And, yeah, there's there's some weird ones, like uh, the uh, Christopher Mintz-Plasse was in that episode, just sort of out of nowhere, uh, and he sort of really gave it his all, and I, I thought he really played it very well. But yeah, no, it's always great seeing people like Rob Corddry, and I, I always support like J.K. Simmons. I would watch J.K. Simmons in anything. Um, I think he's such a great character actor. And oh, I'm completely forgetting Ed Begley Jr. Ed Begley Jr. may be my favorite uh, sort of guest character one-off in the third episode of season one. Yeah, of the ones that haven't been mentioned so far, um, definitely the the high school reunion had Jolo Tru, Trujillo. I don't even know if I have Jolo Trujillo. Jolo yeah. Trujillo. So, and, and Kyle Bornheimer, who was just in an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which was great. Um, so that was an interesting, that was interesting seeing those actors together um, before in something that I hadn't seen. George Takei also in the season one finale was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, so those would be a couple more that I would add. Although, I, yeah, I definitely want to emphasize the, the Josh Gad one because I was also really happy to see that. Well, and we're, we're listing off several of these, but every single episode has interesting and memorable and entertaining and f funny, basically, uh, guest characters and guest actors that, that if you're a TV fan, if you're the kind of person who's going to look at this uh, this show's main cast and say, oh, all of my favorite comedic people, uh, then you're going to recognize the other people who pop up and you're going to be glad to see them, you know, turning in these, these really memorable bit rolls. I mean, that Thomas Lennon orgy episode, it's just, it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> I, I watched way more of, of, uh, that horrible uh, Sean saves Sean the world. Sean saves the world. <laughs> yeah, just because Tom Lennon was so good in it that uh, I mean, watch him in this instead, where the rest of the episode is just as good as his performance. There's so much great comedic content from from all these different characters. But before we we run out of time, as we are always in danger of doing, we we should talk a little bit about the rest of our main characters as well as I guess which my, the question I want you guys to think about is which of these parties would you most want to attend and which would you most want to work. But while we think about that, uh, which character, Sean, you already said, for example, that the character you thought was the center of the show was different from your favorite character, and your favorite character was Roman. Uh, Vikram, what was your favorite character? Um, you know, I, I think it'd probably be a tie between Henry and Roman. Um, I, I really, I had never really heard of Adam Scott before um, Party Down, before I saw Party Down. And I was I was sort of mildly blown away by how committed he was to being this sort of jaded uh, drifter. And I think he really 
brought an energy that I actually haven't seen him bring in other shows. Um, but I, I really like Adam Scott as Henry in, in the series, but I'll, I'll let Sean talk about Roman, but that's probably uh, Henry and Roman are probably a, a tie for me. There, it's not just that Roman is fantastic and that Martin Starr is just great at delivering comedy. The relationship that he has uh, with Kyle, I think, is very indicative of a lot of male male friendships that, uh, in which they are competing for for certain, um, not not roles obviously because he's a writer and and Kyle is an actor, but uh, attention to some degree. And then obviously Roman gets jealous of Kyle several times, but just episodes like, uh, the, was it Jackal Onassis where he gets to, <laughs> to dress up as that character was fantastic. Uh, Martin Starr is just perfect in this role and his really pretentious air works so well within this dynamic. Jackal Onassis, of course, played by Jimmy Simpson, who we also love here on the Televerse. Um, yeah, and the, actually the relationship I would point to outside of that Roman Kyle is actually, I really love the Kyle and uh, Constance relationship, which we see in the, the, the Khan episode. I, I love that supportiveness, because like, Constance is this character, of course, played by Jane Lynch, who just has boundless energy and optimism in a way that's just, it's just a warm hug, <laughs> especially when placed next to Henry's uh, bitterness about his, his career as an actor. And, uh, and just her enthusiasm and good-heartedness, uh, she may not be the brightest bulb there, uh, but... But I really appreciate the, the supportive, actorly friendship between Kyle and, and Constance. Did you think that, that Lydia was a good replacement for that? I like that they went a different way. I like that they didn't try to replace her with a, a, a Constance with a similar character. And, you, and then they, you go from Jane Lynch to Megan Mullally. Jane Lynch is six foot tall. Megan Mullally is normal person sized <laughs> or, or on the shorter end of the, you know, like they didn't go for a similar look or character or comedic style at all. And I appreciated that. And when they brought Lydia in, they didn't try to pair her up comedically with Ryan Hansen, uh, sorry, Kyle or with Roman. They instead spent, gave her more with the guest characters as well as with Ken Marino. And so I just going a different way with it, I thought was very effective. So I, I, I liked that character. I liked both Constance and Lydia and when we finally get to see them interact together in the finale, I, I enjoyed the, the, the animosity as it were. I mean, it was a little precious with the whole, Oh, they brought me in after the thing. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, but, uh, but in general, I, I do think both characters work. Yeah, no, I, uh, what I would say is that I think, um, Megan, Megan Mullally kind of brought sort of, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, sort of a, uh, a wise perspective to the whole thing. She's very disconnected from sort of the minutia of show business. And it really, she, I love the scene of when they're catering the football party, the, the draft day party, and no one knows what draft day is. And she's looking at them like they're crazy. And she's, she effectively says like, you know, there's a whole middle of the country that you guys are unaware of. And she sort of brings that perspective of, you know, a mother and, and of, someone who's been divorced and, and someone who's sort of on, on, on the other side of that. And it, it, like, I think what connects her and Jane Lynch's character is that she's still, you know, trying to be optimistic. She's still trying to fight. And I think that's what connects all these part down characters is that against all sort of, you know, insane obstacles and 
you know, these crazy odds that are against him, they're always willing to just sort of get up in the morning and fight, even if they're going to complain during and even if they're going to be, you know, drinking and all that during, which I think is just some beautiful little moments. And uh, again, Kate, uh, Caitlin Deaver, who we love Unjustified, uh, plays uh, Lydia's daughter in that episode that we get to, to meet her. So again, like this oh the casting. God. I know, right? The casting on the show is ridiculous. I didn't, I didn't, re- oh my God, I didn't put two and two together. That is her. Yeah. That girl can sing too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, so, so we are almost out of time here. Do we have any favorite episodes that we want to particularly highlight, or is this just a overall very consistent show that you guys don't want to have to choose a favorite episode from? Oh, I can choose a favorite episode, and Go for it, would, it. it would be that one, the the company picnic, which was so fun. And I don't know, I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy um, who uh, who Casey is competing with for the trophy. Nat Faxon's character. Yeah, fantastic. Just how how macho he was trying to be, and how the guy who was playing horse with him misses the shot, and just he just shouts "horse motherfucker." It was perfect. <laughs> uh, um, I I think if I had to choose a favorite episode, it would be uh, Steve Gutenberg's uh, birthday. It's the one where they they have to cater the party for Steve Gutenberg, and he like. They, his friends threw a surprise party the day before and he forgot to cancel. And then he just has, has everyone over to throw a party for themselves, basically. And I, I just, I really like that idea. And I really like Steve Gutenberg sort of being in this, uh, you know, sort of mentor position. And of course the scene where, uh, you know, Casey and Henry and everyone are, are playing Roman's script and how it's sort of needling Roman and how it's freaking him out. And also it kind of showcases for once in the series that, you know, these are actually great actors, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're really sort of good, uh, you know, actors who really commit to whatever they're given. And, you know, again, undercut by a little sadness by the idea that like, you know, they may not ever get that chance to do this on screen, but it may happen in Steve Gutenberg's living room. And I I always found that incredibly funny and, and moving. Well, and it goes a long way towards counteracting the, uh, the insanity of their dreams, the fact that they do keep committing to this, this, this dream that they have, that the writers have, the actors, the comedians that, you know, yes, maybe they should have given up a while ago. And maybe it's you know very pathetic that they are still calling themselves uh, an actor and a writer and a comedian when really they're, they're a caterer with most of their time. Uh, it, when, when you actually see that, yes, they are talented and with, with good material, they can, they can, give you a really interesting, fun little scene like that. Yeah, it really, it, it cuts the edge of that just a little bit in a way that makes the characters more believable and relatable. And I, I think that's okay. I don't think it, it removes the edge or the, uh, the, the satire of these characters' lives. And as for, uh, I, I would agree with, with those episodes. I would also point out the, like I said, the, uh, um, the, the con episode in season one i could watch constance impersonate <laughs> animals just like jane lynch that is uh, i that the the pig when she goes into the i mean that's just that's a thing of beauty as far as i'm concerned and this is just again it is a very consistent show they do a really good job of of you know 
there aren't lulls. This is a ten, two 10 episode seasons. It's only 20 episodes. And so if you want to catch up with the show, you can do it in a day and uh, you'll have fun the whole way through. It, there aren't, you know, dips mid season while they decide if they're going to do the will they won't they thing again. It's, it's a very consistent show. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I actually think it may work best sort of binging it at once. Um, I, I watched the show, um, I think not long after I, I binge watched the, the British office. And what's really interesting is that I feel like, uh, the tones are very similar. And I, I actually, there, there's a couple, uh, oral histories of party down online. And if you read sort of the, you know, Rob Thomas and Dan Etheridge's words, they really wanted to do sort of like, uh, their version of the British office and sort of capture that tone of like, you know, people who have dreamed for, if, if I think the line was, they said that if the office is filled with people who uh, have sort of given themselves over to the rat race, these are people who have, have dreamed, you know, a little too long. And I really, I really think like the way I, the way I sell the show to people is that this is like the real American office in the sense, like this is the true American remake of the British office in, in terms of tone and in terms of uh, sort of the groundedness and reality. And that's what I always uh, really like, but please binge watch the show in a day because uh, you can. <laughs> and it's great. And they're, they're available on DVD. They're easily accessible. De- definitely. It's, it's worth your time. Okay. So our final questions then, which party would you most like to attend and which party would you most like to cater? Oh, I'm not going first. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can go first. I, I, I would actually really like to have attended Steve Gutenberg's birthday. Um, I, I just think spending time in that crazy house with sort of this, this like, you know, in all fairness, uh, like a washed up movie star that is still like living this great, great dream in this house. And is just happy as all hell. And, you know, pouring, you know, large copious amounts of alcohol and showing him his crazy art that, that, you know, is, if I remember correctly, it's, it's a porcupine, like, like sucking a dick if i no it's a it's it's a man trying to engage in some amorous actions with the porcupine, porcupine. got it yeah got there, it. there's some other there's some other less uh controversial i guess <laughs> art as well less uh nouveau maybe less challenging <laughs> less challenging art absolutely yeah no i just i i just think the idea that steve gutenberg has this picture in his house is absurd um but the one I would probably most want to cater is the um, Ricky Shargalesh. I just think that sounds like a, a lot of fun to to cater with these these crazy heavy drinking uh, mobsters and how how much fun they seem to have it with you know all all of uh, their friends and even though they're a little scary and a little frightening, they seem to be have you know a great time. And I feel like if I was part of the Party Down catering team. Uh, I would have a blast being with these people. Okay, Sean, you're up. Okay, I would definitely want to attend the the picnic because a kickball game is definitely my kind of thing, uh, especially when there's competition against Valhalla. For catering, it's close between the the Sweet Sixteen, although I would want to have had the rappers perform. Alison Scagliati, by the way, from uh, Warehouse 13, is the daughter in that one? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Which was <laughs> fantastic. And also just to, to see just the empty dance floor the entire time would be really satisfying in a depressing way. Um, 
it would be a tie between that and the the Adult Entertainment Awards one for more obvious reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm going to do a little column A, column B here. So I'll I will cheat and say I will attend the picnic because, like you said, games. And so it's like you know it's fun and everything and all, all the the same fun group of people, but you also get to have a three-legged race and, and horseshoes and other things. And yeah, I could totally play, enjoy a nice game of kickball there, uh, Sean. Uh, And then I will, I will work air quotes, Steve Gutenberg's party. Oh, oh darn. I'm going to work by drinking lots of really good wine and, (laughs) and either playing or watching uh, a scene be played. Uh, that is delightful. While uh, Roman discovers, oh, maybe rewriting is a thing I should do. <laughs> maybe editing isn't the worst thing in the world. It's crazy. It's crazy talk. Well, this uh, this has been so much fun, uh, but we, we are unfortunately out of time. Uh, our final thoughts, everybody should watch Party Down. I couldn't agree more. Don't be like me. It took me all these years to catch up with the show. Watch Party Down. Watch Party Down. Watch Party Down. No, and I also, again, just point to the form. Uh, Vikram's talked about kind of how the, the tone, simil- tonal similarities with The Office is something to really recommend it. Uh, we talk about Louie and how original that is, so I would also say that this is a very unique format which needs to be seen. Absolutely. Uh, Vikram, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find your work online? Um, you know, they can find my stuff at faubeatpoet.com, uh, F-A-U-X, B-E-A-T-P-O-E-T dot com. Um, I will give you guys a heads up that it's in a process of being reformatted and sort of compiling a lot of stuff that's all over the internet, but you can find my stuff there, and you can follow me on Twitter at at Poet, same spelling. Um, that would be where most of my stuff would go. And uh, again, thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. And on a normal day, you, that wouldn't come up. But, but it's sent. But it's centered around this party that he's throwing, and and that's something we continually see over the court. And that's something we continue. Oh, this is fun. And that's. <laughs> and, and that's something we continually see over the course of the series.